I'm Alex Marlowe, Editor-in-Chief of Breitbart News, and this is the Breitbart News Daily Podcast. On today's show, we start with, yes, an update on what's going on in Ukraine, but perhaps more interestingly, what's going on with the Western media, which is running their Trump playbook on Vladimir Putin. Now, Vlad is a monster, but it's still insane to watch politicians and cable news commenters try to force America into a hot war with Russia. This is beyond reckless, yet it's exactly what's happening. And needless to say, the cancel culture playbook being run on Russia, which does not include apparently not buying their oil, is not being run on a single other bad actor country on Earth, including China. Then I get into updates on the American trucker convoy. Dr. Fauci is back and he's returned to spread more coronavirus misinformation. I give you the latest on the ISIS bride who's allegedly having an affair with a perverted Republican congressman. Florida and Ron DeSantis have figured out a way to capitalize on Democrat politicians' incompetence by inking a major business deal and many more stories. Two guests today, first, Senator Ron Johnson, who is up for re-election in Wisconsin, and it is likely to be a highly contested race and one that uh, very well could be a bellwether nationally. He gives a pretty thoughtful analysis of the Ukraine-Russia situation and why America is implicated due to our ludicrous energy policy. Then, of course, we get into the latest evidence that the political scientists continue to botch the COVID-19 response and are forcing our children to suffer. Then Navy SEAL Rob O'Neill joins me to discuss his leadership lessons from the front lines of America's most violent and dramatic moments in recent memory, which he was a part of. Plus, he gives his analysis of the Russia-Ukraine situation, which I think is pretty much spot on. And he gets into what we're getting wrong, how Putin messed this up so badly, and where things might go from here. All of that to come on the show. A quick programming note, I am headed out on vacation. We will have podcasts for you. In the meantime, with great fill-in hosts, and I encourage you to download all those. Like, comment, subscribe, do whatever it takes to spread the word about the Breitbart News Daily Podcast and all of our work at Breitbart.com. All this helps us immeasurably. If you're dying for more Marlowe content during this time, and who isn't, maybe you check out Breaking the News on audiobook, and it's a performance, so it's a good read, I think, but it might be even a more fun listen. All that, but first, a word from our sponsors. start the day with the news. I guess I'll fill you in a little Ukraine first, because as I head out on vacation, I'm, I guess the one exception for where I would maybe be pulled back into the fold would be if nuclear war breaks out. And sadly, I'm only uh, mostly tongue in cheek about that, because I do think if we left certain people in charge, uh, and I do think that I think that that is a more likely scenario than Unfortunately, I would like to admit because it just seems like there are so many people who are in positions of power in this country who would very much like to do stuff to provoke a hot war with a nuclear power in Russia. And Russia does not seem to be successful thus far in Ukraine in waging a more strategic, uh, the, a more guerrilla style, m- more uh, moderately sized war with Ukraine. They're struggling mightily in that regard, but they do have one thing that they're able to do. Um, which is that they are able to, you know, drop nuclear bombs on people, which I don't think is in the offing at the moment. Uh, 
But it's really hard for me to know when you have uh, lunatics like Adam Kinzinger out there calling for Putin's assassination, as well as Lindsey Graham, also a lunatic idea. Uh, how do we know how Russia will react if we did that? How do we know? Are, are we 100% confident that there will be no nuclear war that breaks out if that happens? So I'm just saying as a non-Putin fan, as someone who thinks Putin is a very awful guy and is a communist and is a totalitarian and embodies uh, the uh, uh, many characteristics that I find to be exceedingly unfortunate for the Russian people and for the globe that he is in charge of uh, a nuclear power at this moment. Uh, I, I do not know how people in the, uh, in, in the Russian Politburo will react if we assassinate Putin right now. So why we would put that on the table over Ukraine and the Donbass region of Ukraine, I don't know why, but yet we are. And that's what Lindsey Graham's doing. And that's what Adam Kinzinger is doing right now. So why? What, what is the strategic interest of the United States to make that happen? I do not like the idea of Putin winning this war. It doesn't make me happy. And the suggestion that if he does win it, which is still most likely, even though incredible congratulations thus far already in order to the Ukrainian people who are fighting valiantly against long odds and winning, which is incredible. It's truly incredible. But and, and if Russia is able to win, of course, it means that maybe they'll do it again, though I think that the tolls have been exacting on them so far. They've already admitted to thousands of deaths. And if they're losing, including a, a thousand troops in a day, according to one report. Um, but the fact that Russia is even admitting that they've lost thousands, I think some reports are 11,000, but again, hard to know, maybe it's much more. Uh, that is something that shows that they're doing very badly because um, someone reached out to me saying that they have family in Russia and they're completely unaware that there's this war happening because of the way they control the press and they're censoring the press. And they're trying their best not to admit that anything bad is happening if they've lost 10,000 troops. Perhaps it's much, much, much more. But the fact that they're acknowledging any is a sign of just how well the Ukrainians are doing. So I don't like the idea of Russia being encouraged to do this again and to go keep pushing in other regions. But that said, for the United States of America, if we're sitting around calling for the assassination of Putin, we are running the risk of something very, very, very bad taking place, which I don't know why we're so excited about this after watching what we did in Iraq and Afghanistan, Afghanistan in particular, which came to the most humiliating conclusion just earlier this year, after 20 years finally end the war, and we did it in the most humiliating fashion I've ever seen. And though they are not the Republicans that are in the Breitbartian wing of the Republican Party, the fact that Republicans are calling for this when on a generic ballot, the Republicans are polling the best they've ever polled, at least in decades, and maybe ever, because maybe we're going back to a point where it doesn't count. Maybe it doesn't even count the data that we have. That's how well Republicans are doing heading in this midterm. And we're thinking, let's go get into a, a war over a territorial dispute. It grant, granted a very clear territorial dispute, in my view. Ukraine's in the right here and Putin's in the wrong. I, I, I don't have any nuance on that. But I am saying that if we are sitting there talking about um, provoking some sort of a hot war with Russia over this, we're absolutely lunatics. And sadly, I do think that a lot of people are. I think Adam Kinzinger is is lunatic guy, and he gets elevated on CNN and elsewhere. The other thing that people are uh, are ignoring here is that Russia is not the only bad actor on the world stage. We are looking at all of this virtue signaling that goes on. We're looking at all of these companies that are refusing to do business in Russia. 
even these oil companies are refusing to do business in Russia. That just means China's gonna buy a cheaper oil from Russia. So it actually helps China. But China has literal genocide going on right now, literal concentration camps right now, literal internment of people, organ harvesting, discrimination of blacks and women in the colonizing of Africa. All that's taking place right now. And we don't do any of that with China. We don't talk about it. It's not even mentioned. Not to mention the pandemic still rages to some degree or another. Despite the insistence that now is the time to take off masks, which is great. I'm really happy we're taking off masks, but it's not because the data is that good about coronavirus. And we don't even act like there is anything going on in China, much less other parts of the world like Iran. And we have a, a terribly negotiated Iran nuclear deal, which we're not discussing right now. Uh, and our allies in Israel are feeling very stranded because we're distracted about what's going on. Many other bad actors, a lot of atrocities going on in Africa right now, as always pretty much. There's a, the scenes in Venezuela are insane, which we write about. We have a reporter, Caleb Caruso, who reports live from Venezuela for us, had a story up over the weekend. The, but we only care about Ukraine and the Donbass for whatever reason. Well, because we have vengeance against Putin. People don't like Putin a lot, and they want to talk about how bad Putin is. For whatever reason, the world is very happy to attack Putin. I think some of them, you can do the math in your head why. Others, I think, are probably more complicated to explain. Some are totally idiotic, like allegiance to the Clintons. But uh, we're talking about no-fly zones. People want no-fly zones. How would you enforce a no-fly zone? You shoot the planes that go in the no-fly zone. How is that not a hot war? Why on earth would the United States want to have anything to do with that right now, unless we specifically want a hot war? It almost guarantees it. It's almost a guarantee of a hot war. Yet there's a lot of no-fly zone discussion on cable news and TV news by a bunch of people who stand to make money if we go to war. A bunch of people who are family connected to the military-industrial complex who love those defense contracts. And they love the idea of talking about war rather than the oil prices, which we're going to get to in a second, the Biden inflation, poor problems the general malaise that's sweeping over the country thanks to, I think largely, social media, which I'm increasingly convinced is ruining lives uh, at a rate that is, is unimaginable. So, but we can't have meaningful discussions when we have to just talk 24-7 about Ukraine. I'm sure, already, I'm sure a bunch of you in the audience are already frustrated we're already on Ukraine talk. Start the show. You guys are frantically flipping over to Howard. That's a joke. I don't think any of you are doing that. I don't think anyone's frantically flipping the Howard. But you guys see my point. But I have to talk about it because if only Lindsey Graham and Adam Kinzinger get elevated, then we're going to be in a hot war with Russia. Not, there's no doubt. John Nolte starts an article, Ukraine war fever could kill GOP midterm chances, senior writer Professor Breitbart. How does any rational or caring human being watch us lose a 20-year war against cave-dwelling barbarians? And not just lose that war, but lose it in the most humiliating fashion imaginable and less than a year later already have a war boner for Ukraine, question mark. I'm convinced the unholy alliance between neocons, the corporate media, and the Democrat Party is the seventh seal. And he goes on to note our terrible track record of liberating people. We just say we're going to liberate people. As I've said, the American foreign policy over my lifetime has been you broadcast to the public that we're going to go in, kick butt, and get out. And instead, we go in, don't kick butt, and stay forever. That's what we do. 
And if you guys trust Joe Biden to uh, run this thing, of course you don't. Adam Kinzinger wants a hot war if he wants a no-fly zone. That is, it will lead almost a guarantee to a hot war. America shoots down Russian jets. That is a hot war. What are we doing? I, I'm thankfully of the mindset that I don't think by somewhat narrower margin than I'm comfortable with that I, do, I don't think that there is that much of a desire for this where it could actually happen. But I think that it's close enough. Joe Manchin talking about how we should not take no-fly zones off the table. Not good. I think we should take it off the table, personally. I'm not a politician, it's just my thought. One person who I do think is probably getting a big kick out of this is Hillary Clinton and Bill Clinton. They brought back the Clinton Global Initiative. Bubba Clinton saying we can accomplish far more together than we can apart. So this sends two signals. One that my theory, which you heard here first, and I don't want you to forget it, Hillary Clinton is running and she's winning right now for the 2024 nominee. Again, we're talking about that malaise society might be having in the United States. Go back to the Clintons. What kind of a sign is that for us? Um, but Hillary's running and uh, this is where she's going to bag cash largely from people overseas to see who wants her. She says the, this is her opening her slush fund and saying send us checks and just know that the Biden administration and at the moment the Republicans are incapable of doing anything about it largely because she was let off the hook for all of her grift. Who were the idiots who told President Trump that she would stop? A lot of it's the remember after Trump won that the message from the White House was she had been through enough and was not going to be prosecuted and boom it was over just like that. Who were those fools? And I hope if Trump wins again, they're not invited back. Just saying. Hillary Clinton is like the girl in uh, in the movie The Ring, which this is big spoilers here. Many of you know I'm a horror movie fan. One of the best horror movies of the century is a movie called The Ring. Totally absurd premise that, that should never work. But it's a beautiful movie and really, really scary. I just rewatched it with family over the weekend. It really holds up. It's really good. Um, and it is the scariest part in it is realizing that helping the evil character at the center of the movie uh, is the wrong move. It's not the right move. I'm, of course, being not 100% literal for Soros Fund of Freaks monitoring the show. But uh, Trump helping Hillary was not a good move. And he was probably focused on trying to govern the country at that time. But uh, letting the Clintons off the hook, it just means you get this stuff like the Clinton Global Initiative is back. So people from all around the world will send money to the Clintons. That's what this is. Uh, well, before she runs for president. Hello? It, it, it cannot be more simple. That is the most simple thing, the, the simplest take I can offer. So you've tuned in for my simplest take of the, of the day and the week for sure. Trump suggested that we should bomb the SHIT out of Russia and blame China by putting, uh, I guess, Chinese flags on our planes. I'm 100% sure he was joking, right? Or am I 99%? He's got to be joking, right? It's an amusing statement if he's joking, and if he's not joking, then I don't know about that. Not sure that one's going to work, but I think he was joking. So anyway, uh, Bill Clinton wants the Clinton Global Initiative to focus on what else? Climate change. Another way to, you can double dip on that one because you can bet he'll figure out a way to grift off of that because climate change is a big grift. It just ends up benefiting uh, a lot of people financially and it hurts 
people like you guys who are paying now. Uh, and uh, the highest average for gas that we've seen in decades, maybe ever. U.S. crude soared to $130 a barrel, which is almost unfathomable. Um, John Carney wrote this up for us at Breitbart News that the this is putting big pressure on inflation. 130.50 a barrel, then retreated a little bit. The highest price since 1983 and adjusted for inflation, this would be 186.73 by comparison. There is a fear of a full embargo against Russian oil, which accounted for about 10% of global supply before the Ukraine invasion. And a lot of markets are refusing to bid, ship, or unload Russian oil. This pushes demand for other sources. There's even talk of people you know, begging Venezuela for oil, which is pretty insane because Venezuela is incompetent. They have enough oil, of course, to be one of the biggest producers in the world, but they're incompetent to get it out of the ground and uh, sell people at a good rate unless they get aided by other governments. But national gas price now $4, highest national average in 14 years. People sending me pictures in California for gas at a $5.99 a gallon. All this regressive tax is on the working class. I just can't imagine what your average person who's long commute, making your average salary, you know, making 60 grand a year, whatever it is, has a family, and then you're spending the whole week in the car. And now not only you have a 7-8% inflation on average, but then you've got the gas prices, what they are. This is a penalty to the people who are the backbone of our country. Those are the people who are most hurt by this, our working class people. This is not as bad for the people in the, who will be running the Clinton Global Initiative. They do not feel the heat on this. Very, very annoying and scary in a way because we'll talk some more about whether or not we need a hot war with Russia. We need to drill in the Keystone XL. We need to we need to get the natural gas out of Pennsylvania that we're refusing to get. We need to become energy independent, and we need more fossil fuels right now. Now I think about ninety two percent of the U.S. population is not under mask mandates, and that number is shrinking. That's a good thing. The expectation is still for the rest of the week in the Marlowe household that the three year old is supposed to bring a mask to preschool. One of the scariest pieces of information is how the vocabulary of young children, the expectations, the standards that are met are getting wildly reduced because of the masks. So because people are not exposed to mouths and a lot of people just simply went around and uh, uh, just, just abide by it. And this is including some people in my life who are, who are doctors. And which is very disappointing to me that there was no, the development of young people is getting stifled by these masks. They don't work. And then you still see these absurd things like, hey, we're going to take off the mask, but then we got to wait a week and a half, even though we know they're not really working. That's why everyone loved so much last week when uh, Ron DeSantis said, stop the COVID theater, because he didn't want to pose with a photo with a kid in a mask, which he knows isn't working. Speaking of DeSantis, ports are open. Ron DeSantis announces global shipping company moving operations from California to Florida. It's very interesting how a, a family member of mine who moved to Florida during the pandemic said that this is sort of our, our version of civil disobedience right now. 
is your your protest as you go to Florida. And I think some people are doing the same to Tennessee and Texas and a couple other places. But this is what people are doing to protest the Big Joey administration. And, you know, what happens out with uh, Bill de Blasio and Gavin Newsom and Eric Garcetti and Andrew Cuomo and all these other people who are letting down their blue states. That people just picking up, moving to Florida. And this is, they're getting a lot of benefits over there. Haven't had the mass in well over a year. So, but the shipping company, Sealand Shipping, moving a big portion of their operation from California to Jacksonville. I heard Jacksonville's a cool city. I've not been. I want to go. It's on the list. Ports of Tampa seeing a big increase. Ports of Miami. Florida's killing it. Killing the game. Why? Freedom. They like freedom. Fauci was lying on a podcast called the Woke AF Podcast. You notice how they put uh, Fauci on the bench? How he was gone? He was gone. They just put him on the bench for two weeks in front of the State of the Union. Did not get a shout out in the State of the Union. Um, I was wondering if he had the virus. That crossed my mind. Clearly he's back, so he survived it. But he was again talking about how when asked by the podcast host of the Woke AF podcast, what do you say to the parents of children on the age of five who aren't able to get vaccinated who at this time still feel like they're vulnerable? They're in a vulnerable spot because their children are not covered, meaning vaccinated. He says is an excellent question. And in that case, what you do is you can what, do what you can to surround your children with people who are vaccinated and boosted. And when you're in a vulnerable situation to wear a mask. The vaccines don't stop the spread of the virus. Why would you tell people that you can help keep your kids safe by having them around people who are vaccinated and boosted when it doesn't seem to make any difference? And if it does, very marginal, whether or not they'll spread the virus. It's not an answer. That's a lie. He continues, if you really want to make sure we put this virus, this outbreak in the rearview mirror, we can make a contribution by not giving the virus the opportunity to circulate among us. And you do that by getting vaccinated. That's a flat lie. And I say this as someone who is pro-vaccine and thinks the vaccine saved innumerable lives by reducing severe COVID. But it was sold, it was sold to us as it will stop the uh, spread. And Fauci is still doing it. He's a political scientist. He's not a real scientist. Uh, we have a lot of live footage of the, DC, of the U.S. trucker convoy heading towards D.C. And we've had the front page of Breitbart. It's very popular. Check some of that out. I do wish it was bigger, but I do like that there's something. But I think we need to get more engaged. Sometimes it's not enough just to hang on your phone. A quick update on our ISIS bride story, Tanya Joya who had the alleged affair with Congressman Van Taylor, who is going to step down, including a $5,000 hush money payment and some incredibly perverted text messages. She says the media covered it up. No kidding. Shocked. So I'm saying the Republican establishment is trying to get some of the benefits of the establishment media because I do think they have a lot of vested interests. I think their their interests are um, pretty much the same at this point just being a, sort of against the Trump wing of the Republican Party is good enough now. Alejandro Mayorkas is building a bureaucratic bridge to import more Ukrainian migrants. So we've got too many people flooding the country already. Doesn't really matter because, you know, there's a crisis halfway around the world, so we need a bunch more migrants. 1.5 million plus Ukrainian refugees are now fleeing the Russian invasion. I'm very sympathetic for this, 
But it is interesting that the West is going to have to absorb this, and a lot of it's because of the media. It's, there are lots of people who have a somewhat reasonable claim to being a refugee all around the world. But we are going to import people mostly based on what is being covered on CNN, which I don't believe is the right way to run a country, run a society, to run the planet. But that's the globalist experiment. You never let a crisis go to waste, and that's what we're seeing. Utah has a governor named Spencer Cox, who's a Republican, and he's pledged to veto a bill that requires athletes to compete in sports according to their birth gender. So this is a anti-trans, anti-men running as women in sports. He's going to veto it, apparently. If you, any of you know about Spencer Cox and what his deal is, please explain this to me. I have to say, I think it was Eric Prince, I think it was on Tucker's show that I heard this last week. Um, Eric's been on the show a number of times, so not recently. We should probably have Eric on soon at some point. But he had a, I think it was him who had a line. Um, he's a, the uh, Blackwater USA founder. And he had a line, I think it was on Tucker, when he was talking about Ukraine and, and Russia, which is a total non sequitur. And But it did crack me up that he said that at least in Russia, they can tell the difference between men and women. Or tell the difference between boys and girls. I, I think our response to the Ukraine-Russia situation should have absolutely nothing to do with whether or not um, we can tell the difference between boys and girls, which we can't, and Russia, which apparently can, though I don't know. I haven't been there in a while. But I did find that pretty hilarious. It is a pretty funny point. Again, a total non sequitur, unrelated. But this is unbelievable that we now even have Republicans who can't even deal with the fundamentals of men are men and women are women. This is now beyond controversial. It is now even Republicans like, nope, nope, not going there. That's a bridge too far for me. That's where I put my foot down. Suggesting girls only get to compete against girls. Huh. Who's to say what a girl is? Who's to say I'm not a girl right now? Don't let my hairy chest fool you. It's just, we are so illogical. And that is what is very frustrating to me. This is my, my curse in my life, I feel like is I somehow expect that at some point we are going to see somewhat logical behavior. But then again, maybe there is a perverted logic to some of this. Like if you look at the way Joe Biden runs his energy policy, it, it, it is, you think it would be illogical that he's not drilling and he's not really giving relief to Americans. But then again, you see all this talk about climate change and how much we hate fossil fuels and how much we want to get to the clean, renewable energy future. Maybe there is a logic to it, just a perverted logic. guest today is Senator Ron Johnson of Wisconsin, who has really taken a lot of hits in the media for being maybe the most vocal senator on terms of skepticism about the COVID-19 narrative. Now, I will say I don't agree with every word the senator says, and I only caveat this for the Soros-funded freaks. I don't agree with the words of uh, every senator 100% of the time, but he has been someone who has raised issues with the response at a level that is maybe the most vocal of anyone in the Senate. 
And because of this, I also think he's gotten a really big following, but it's also marked himself with a big target on his back that Democrats will try to take advantage of come November uh, when people go out to vote. So an interesting guy, and I got a feeling we'll be hearing some more from him on the broadcast as the year goes on. Let's roll the interview. Senator, great to talk to you. And let's start with Ukraine and Russia. And it feels like this is a pretty colossal blunder that we are in this spot and the fact that what's happening in Ukraine right now does seem to be affecting uh, some of our kitchen table issues like gas prices, etc. I'm also losing uh, confidence in the leadership, not just Joe Biden, but also we have a lot of other people who seem to be suggesting things that will get Americans into a hot war, perhaps. Uh, what is your perspective from here? Well, good morning, Alex. Well, I think the largest blunder is on the part of Putin. Uh, we've always known he's a murderous thug. Now we know he's a verifiable war criminal. Uh, it's tragic. Uh, and I, I was chairman. Now I'm ranking member of the European Subcommittee on Senate Foreign Relations. So I've, I've made multiple trips over to Ukraine, other Eastern European countries. Now I'll just say my, my heart lies with those people that are just trying to shed the, the legacy of corruption. They're, they're trying to rid themselves of their Soviet past and you know, embrace the West and, and get rid their countries of corruption. Uh, but it's very difficult to do. I, I think President Zelensky was, uh, you know, he ran to defeat corruption. I think he was sincere in that. But, you know, he's a political neophyte. Uh, he had, you know, the long knives were out for him almost immediately. It's very difficult. Uh, so I have a great deal of sympathy what the, you know, with the people of Ukraine. And now, of course, we're seeing their extraordinary bravery. They don't want to be taken over by Russia. I think it's a huge miscalculation on the part of Putin, thinking that he'd come in there as a liberator and a large percentage of Ukrainians would... Uh, you know, hail the you know their new king. I guess uh, didn't happen. So it's good. it's a it's a bloody mess. Um, I, I personally think that uh, we ought to be we should have provided more lethal defensive again lethal defensive weaponry to potentially change Putin's calculation. I'm not sure that was possible. I think right now, uh, I think the West should be supplying them arms. I think we do definitely need to avoid any kind of hot war between. Uh, NATO countries and Russia. Uh, you can see Putin saber rattling with his nuclear weapons. Um, so, you know, it's, it's, it's a big mess. You do achieve, by the way, and I agree with Ronald Reagan, you achieve peace through strength. But I think a lot of people interpret that as military strength. I interpret it as national strength, starting with not only a strong economy, but, but first of all, national unity. Uh, you know, as, as I've started this camp, my campaign, uh, things are just different now. You know, every, in every other national crisis, America's come together except the pandemic. And now we're, we're even more divided. And I would say all these Democrat policies, the mandates have exacerbated the divide, all, all the racial tension. They keep exacerbating the divide. That makes us weak. And that's quite honestly what Putin was trying to take advantage of. That's certainly what he perceived after the embarrassing and dangerous uh, surrender in Afghanistan, the, the, the mounting um, debt of this nation, 7.5% inflation, open borders, rising crime. I mean, you, from the outside, you look in America and you go, this is a weakened nation. This is the time to act. And I think that's uh, what Putin, I'm afraid that's what uh, President Xi, I think that's what the Ayatollahs in, in uh, Iran, North Korea. Again, you, you are at risk when you are weak. You are best, you know, you, you can best preserve stability and peace if you're strong. And just about everything the Democrats are doing are weakening this country. 
Yeah, I think you're correct to know that we could have probably moved faster to supply arms to Ukraine. Are you surprised, as I am, that Putin has is sort of failing here? And not to say he still doesn't have the upper hand ultimately, but it is that he's uh, this is one where he probably thought he was going to be able to win this in a few days. And it still goes on as we have this conversation. I think he's probably surprised at the ineffectiveness of uh, his military. I think they've probably got old equipment. I've heard that the, the, the troops are surviving on six-year-old uh, meals ready to eat. Ukrainians are fighting for their, for their children, for their families, for their country, for their freedom. What are the 18-, 19-, 20-year-old conscripts from Russia fighting for? The kleptocracy that is Vladimir Putin and his cronies? I mean, it's not even close. So I don't think it's overly surprising. I think it was predicted that Ukrainians were going to uh, defend their land and their families with tenacity, with ferocity. Uh, and, you know, what, what, what has Russia got? They, you know, they don't have a particularly good battle plan. They obviously outgun Ukraine. And my concern is Putin's calculus would be that he just simply can't lose this. And the only way he's not going to be able to lose is he just starts bombarding uh, these cities like he did in Aleppo and, and uh you know, in Chechnya, uh, and he, 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 he's a brutal war criminal. Um, I'm hoping, I'm hoping the Russian people rise up and de- depose him. I hope, I hope the, the, uh, his cronies, the, the oligarchs, realize that uh, they're not going to be able to send their kids to all these elite institutions and travel all over the world on their yachts uh, if they continue down this path. Uh, that's, probably, that's probably the best outcome here is if uh, Putin is just deposed. Yeah, I agree with that wholeheartedly. The question is, how is that done when they don't have free press? And uh, I think uh, there's a lot of risky moves that the West can make that could potentially lead to, again, another escalating war, which I don't know if there's an appetite for that yet. But one thing that you noted that I think is really important is that President Biden, he ran on a campaign that he was going to unify the country. Uh, The country is not has not felt more divided. Um, but one thing that is curious here is that the country does seem to be pretty united in that no one likes Putin. It doesn't seem like Putin's got a big constituency in the United States, to say the least. It seems like everyone pretty much hates Putin. Well, what's striking to me, though, about this, Senator, is there are so many problems facing planet Earth. Uh, I, I would submit number one might be uh, the Communist Party in Beijing. And we don't we don't have unity on that. In fact, we have very limited knowledge, limited discussion. Uh, have you thought of this, and does this uh, c- comparison resonate with you? Well, in terms of foreign policy threats, you are right. China's, you know, the rising power, uh, the other, the other superpower now with the nuclear weapons and a, a growing military. They're they're not a they're not a friendly competitor. They're they're an unfriendly adversary. They're uh, and they're not a good actor in the world. But I would argue that the biggest threat to face America today is we're literally bankrupting ourselves. We're mortgaging our, our kids' future. Uh, eventually, that, that bill is going to come due. And, you know, the, the danger in these sanctions uh, against Russia, uh, denying them access to the swift banking system, that type of thing, is just going to hasten the day when transactions uh, are conducted in, in currencies other than the U.S. dollar. It's happening today between Russia and China. I mean, China will... We'll take uh, Russian oil if the rest of the world doesn't, and they'll pay off denominated in the yuan uh, or, or other currencies. And when the U.S. currency ceases to be the world's reserve currency, we become Greece. We, we can't print the dollars the way we're printing them right now to keep interest rates artificially low uh, so that we can finance this grotesque level of, uh, of debt. So that gets back to, again, the, the two 
main pillars of America's strength would be American unity and American economic might. And Democrat policies are weakening both of those. They exacerbate the divide. Joe Biden repeatedly said his number one goal is to unify and heal this nation. He's done the exact opposite. I mean, he has dramatically exacerbated our division. The Democrats have. Uh, By the way, that's pretty well started. You know, there's always been a political division. But in 2016, when they failed to, to acknowledge the legitimacy of President Trump's electoral victory, and four years later, now the other half of the, the country doesn't agree this legitimate election. This is an unsustainable state of affairs, but it's primarily been pushed by Democrats. I mean, they're, they're uh, you know, what Hillary Clinton did with the Steele dossier, bought and paid for the Russian disinformation. Now we're hearing Michael Sussman, you know, pushing, you know, the, the whole hoax on Alpha Bank on, on the FBI, and they bought a hook, line, and sinker. Look at what that's done to the body politic over the last four or five years. So we are weaker because of because Democrats divide us, so we're a divided nation, and we're weaker because they keep spending uh, ungodly amounts, trillions of dollars of money we don't have. We print the money, so now you have way too many dollars. And by the way, they also use this this federal spending to make it more possible for people not to reenter the workforce. I mean, basically, in effect, paying people not to work. So you have fewer goods, a lot more dollars. More dollars chasing too few goods, you exacerbate inflation. It's not a, it's not a pretty scenario right now. Senator Ron Johnson again is with me from Wisconsin. He's also in a re-election bid, which we're going to talk about momentarily, though I do want to talk a little bit about coronavirus. Uh, and now we're starting to see finally the mask coming off uh, two years after I think people probably got the picture. In a lot of cases, the masks weren't doing much unless, of course, I'll say the caveat for the Soros-funded freaks who monitor the show perfectly fitted in 95s maybe but no one has those and i I thought biden said he he was going to get all those to us we were all supposed to get all those for free senator i i never got mine and then and then now finally the masks are coming off but still some kids are forced to wear them some parts of the country still have them uh it is one of the greatest pieces of disinformation i think that we've ever witnessed this this masking um, why now, though? Because if you look at the coronavirus data, it's not that different than it was a year ago. Why do you think the masks are coming off today? Is it purely politics? Yeah, the science didn't change. The polls changed. Yeah, and I think masking children is probably just exhibit A of, of how absurd and really destructive our response has been. You know, Sweden, 1.8, 1.9 million school children, they continue to do in-person learning. Not, not one of them wore a mask. Not one died from COVID. We, we knew this. We knew this very, very early on, that uh, COVID was a disease that really attacked the elderly and people with certain comorbidities and, and children that were at higher risk than flu. But if you want to talk about masks, I mean, I, you know, even if an N95, if properly fitted and replaced four or five times a day, if that actually worked, okay, I can tell you where any kind of mask wouldn't work, and that's with children. So yeah. Have you ever seen children wear masks? This is no, no I, this, Senator, I've, I've got a... Um, yeah, yeah, not, not to cut you off, but I have a three-year-old, and it's, and it's absurd that his uh, his preschool, which is taking off the mask in a, in a week, it's the I, I wouldn't send him until just we just started because I didn't want him to have to wear them. Uh, I don't even send him with one, but he's supposed to wear one, but he doesn't even have one. But I'll tell you that when you show up, you see some of them got the mask on top of their heads. You know, some of them like wear them like a hat, and you know, so <laughs> others are in the backpack. And, yeah, yeah. I mean, you got more than 900,000 people dead, the human toll, the economic devastation. What we've done to our children, our response to COVID has been a miserable failure. Why would anybody listen to these people still? Yeah. But exactly. in particular, children wearing these masks, it's delayed speech. 
they don't even know what their their teachers look like. They don't see each other smile. They don't know how to react. Now, now they're fearful that they're afraid that they're going to kill their grandparents if they get disease. This is sick. What we've done to our children, and America has to awaken up. You know, too many people are still in slumber. Their eyes are still veiled in terms of what has happened because of COVID. Our loss of freedoms. Uh, again, this is our response has been a miserable failure. And the problem is, you got a human tendency never to admit you're wrong. And of course, as I call them, the COVID gods, the COVID cartel. With that high a body count, they, they can't afford to be proven wrong. And you know, because they include the media and the big tech social media giants, they've got the power to make sure that it's going to be very difficult to prove them wrong. That's what we're up against. I wanted, by way of a segue, to talk a little bit about your reelection bid and what's going on in the Congress. Um, we watched Anthony Fauci last week again discuss vaccines as though they will, they're stopping the spread of the virus now. Uh, the, the, you're, you're well known as a vaccine skeptic here, Senator, but the point is that if they're working, they're not stopping the spread. They're, they're reducing symptoms, and he's still out there pushing that lie. Uh, if the Republicans take the Senate and the House, is there an investigation that can be done? Because there's something going on with this guy that he's still out there spreading these known lies, and no one seems to care about it, it seems. Well, the first thing is I, I would always ask these uh, the health agencies, show me your data. You, you, you spout all these, uh, you know, you're X times more likely to, to die. or whatever. Well, Show me your data. And, of course, they won't. We have to look to public health England or Israel or Scotland. Uh, to, to get what's happening in their countries. And, and, of course, that proves that the vaccines, you know, if, you, if you're vaccinated, you can still get COVID, you can still transmit COVID, you can still die from COVID, okay? That's just the truth. It's, I, I hate that reality. I wish these vaccines would have been completely effective, completely safe. You look at theirs, we are well over 24,000 deaths reported on the Vaccine Adverse Event Reporting System. Now, I realize it doesn't prove causation, but 30% of those deaths are occurring on day zero, one, or two, and that's something we are completely ignoring. So, yeah, you bet. You know, if, if I get reelected, I'll be chairman of the Permanent Subcommittee on Investigations, and I'm going, to, uh, I'm going to do everything I can to expose what happened about our, again, our miserable, miserable res- uh, response or the miserable failure that our response was. Uh, we need to un- uncover the corruption. You know, doctors should be at the top of the pyramid when it comes to treating patients. Right now they are being, they're crushed at the bottom. And you've got the health agencies lording over doctors. Uh, th- this is wrong. Th- th- there are hundreds of thousands of people that died lacking early treatment, okay, because I believe the health agencies have been completely captured by Big Pharma. And the only thing that is recommended right now for treating COVID at almost any stage are the very expensive, patentable drugs by Big Pharma and all the widely available generic drugs that I'm thoroughly convinced work because <laughs> I'm talking to doctors that use them. I'm talking to patients that I refer to doctors, and I see the miraculous turnarounds. Right now, right now there's a drug, Zysami. Uh, it's been used under my Right to Try bill. It, it's saving lives at the very end stage of, of uh, COVID, and yet the Food and Drug Administration will not give that an emergency use authorization. They're going, well, let's wait for another study to come out in 2023. Well, by 2023, it's going to be too late, where they rushed remdesivir. They rushed everything else through these uh, approval processes because these were drugs by big pharma that are patentable, that are worth billions to them. Uh, I would call that corruption. Senator, let me ask you about the Republicans who are a seat away from taking the Senate back. Your seat's one of several in battleground states. 
that you are uh, the, the Republicans are, are defending. Can you put into context how important your campaign is on a national level? Right now, our, our country is really hanging by a thread. It's made up of Kirsten Sinema and Joe Manchin, who, who really showed extraordinary courage in bucking their party, uh, bucking the media, and, and maintained the Senate with our filibuster. And people need to understand how important that is. The Senate is uniquely designed to make sure that if you're going to do transformational change, you can do something big, you need a big majority. And that's been important. That's, the Senate filibuster stops so much socialism, you know, the creeping socialism that currently be in place and maybe our country would be kind of long past recovering. So it, this is two tenuous situations. So, so Republicans have to uh, gain a true majority. One of the main reasons I'm, I'm running is I think I probably have by far the best chance to retain this uh, Wisconsin U.S. Senate seat because it's just crucial. If we want to pull ourselves off this path of socialism, uh, we got to start now. Uh, Senator Rick Scott put out a 60-page agenda recently that he calls a, a plan to rescue America. Uh, this apparently rubbed Mitch McConnell the wrong way. Uh, have you read it? Do you support it? Do you have any thoughts on Senator Scott's plan? Well, for, first of all, I certainly support Senator Scott. He's a real ally. And you know, he's, he's showing the voters what he would do. This is, this is his agenda. I think it's in, you know, totally appropriate. Uh, do I agree with everything on it? Know, most of it, uh, I would have changes in certain things, but I think that's a positive thing. Uh, it would it would be nice if, as a party, we would come together and, and show the American people this is exactly what our priorities are. I mean, those are Rick's priorities. I, I think we should come together between the House and the Senate Republicans and come up with, you know, the top three things that we would have to do. Now, listen, I, I understand how people are frustrated. You know, we, we all said we were going to re- repeal and replace. Obamacare, and then when it came right down to it, it's like, well, what are we going to do? Uh, now, now I blame leadership on that because they just didn't have their act together, and you know, so very few of them actually have been in the private sector, like Senator Scott and myself have, where we've seen and we've competed against excellence. Something your listeners have to understand: government. There's not much excellence involved in government. I mean, it's not a functioning organization. I mean, most most of your listeners actually work for a organization that's functioning. You have strategic plans. You have mission statements. You have vision statements. You, you're all on the same page. You're all working toward the same goal. Uh, you know, in Washington, D.C., it's all about politics, and it's being run by people that have little experience in, knowledge of, or simply for the private sector. For most people that they're governing, that they're writing the laws and the rules and regulations, the guidances, telling you how to live your lives. It's, it's, it's a pretty backward system. It's, you know, we, we've turned the foundational premise of our nation on its head, where people should have most of the power. Now, now we've given and granted government all this power to lord over us, and it's really been exposed during COVID. Uh, that's the whole point of the, the People's Convoy, these truckers up in, in uh, Ottawa. It's about time for Americans to reclaim their freedom, their liberty, because it has been taken away in, you know, just bit by bit. And people have to wake up to the fact that uh, we, we are so close to losing it. Senator, what is the plan, at least if you're able to control it to some degree, what is the plan if the Republicans take the Senate majority? Well, I mean, it's, this won't be a very satisfying answer, but with the, a Democrat in the White House, it's really going to be the, the William F. Buckley formed conservatives that stand, stand toward history and yell stop. You know, we're just going to end his agenda. So he, can, he stops destroying America. 
We will do everything we can to expose, for example, the open border, which the, the media, having put Joe Biden in, in, in office now, is going to cover up for him. So we, we don't hear about the disaster that is the southern border, the drug overdoses, the sex trafficking, the human trafficking. Uh, the news media is actually uh, parroting his line that, well, the solution to inflation is more deficit spending. I mean, it's absurd. So, you know, Republicans are going to have to use that two-year to stop any further slouching toward Gomorrah in any further slide toward uh, socialism. And, you know, then we also need to expose what's happening and get our act together for hopefully a successful 2024 election where now we're back in power and we can actually uh, make good on what we've established as our priorities. In other words, if, if we're, for example, if, if we were going to repeal and replace Obamacare, okay, I think we still need to fix our health care system. We need to have the plan ahead of time so that once we get in office, we can implement it immediately, not, you know, not knock around like we did last time and, and fail. Senator Ron Johnson, if people want to support your campaign, where should they go? Ron Johnson for Senate.com, and I'm going to need a lot of help. I've, I've already been spent $13 million to two. The media in Wisconsin and nationally is vicious. They lie to distort. You can't even put a number on, on how much that value has value to my democrat opponents who have the media on their side so i'm gonna need a lot of help so it's ron johnson for senate.com uh please help please contribute to tell all your friends and family as well thank you senator really appreciate the time take care all right we'll take a quick break rob o'neill joins us when we come back Finally today, SEAL Team 6's Rob O'Neill is here to discuss not just his new book and some of the news of the day with Russia and Ukraine, which I noted at the opening. Uh, he seems to be pretty much on the money on this, in my opinion. But it is great to hear some real leadership lessons from someone who lived it. I mean, it is something that I continue to be fascinated with brave people, particularly physically brave people. It's something that is a value we need to instill, but also we get into how having a credible leadership class is so important when you're asking people to do big things like, I don't know, uh, a run into uh, mud huts and try to you know kill the Taliban, stuff like that. All right, all of that in the interview with Rob. Let's play the interview. Rob O'Neill's on the line with me. He's got a new book out called The Way Forward, Master Life's Toughest Battles and Create Your Lasting Legacy, which he wrote with... Dakota Meyer, who is well known to the audience, I think, for his uh, Medal of Honor, which uh, you, you don't tend to win those when you're still alive, which is kind of an amazing thing. Rob, of course, is famous for the Bin Laden raid, Navy SEAL, etc. cetera. Uh, Rob, great to have you back on the show. I definitely want to get some of your take on the news of the day. Uh, but first, tell me about the, the, the book, uh, where the idea came from, and why you thought maybe it was a good time for a lot of Americans to read a, some of the lessons you learned and be able to apply them to their daily life. The idea came from Dakota and me talking about how, uh, how did a, a guy from Montana who could barely swim become the Navy SEAL that went into Bin Laden's bedroom and all of a sudden get thrust into the limelight and then a, a dude from Kentucky raising chickens on a farm is awarded the Medal of Honor for heroics in Afghanistan and against Rust in the uh, end of the limelight. 
And what it kind of says is, is, is you have your past. When you make a plan, God laughs at you. Life happens around you. And, um, you know, what happened in your past is important to learn from it. Uh, learn from it and then get over it. Try not to repeat what you're doing. But you have, you know, you, you got to keep moving forward. One of the few certainties in life is that time keeps ticking. And what do you do now? And that's kind of how we started it. And then with the, um, you know, with the, the lockdowns, the pandemic, the, the, the divide in po- political parties, um, it's kind of like, you know, the, the, the cheapest booze come from the cheapest or the loudest booze come from the cheapest seats. And uh, most people are good. Most people in this country are actually good. It's the loud people that get all the, uh, the attention. And they kind of bring people down. Well, let's move forward together. Like uh, I think Henry Ford said, if we move forward together, success takes care of itself. And we've all had stuff in the past, and uh, we, we all just watched the time go by. What, what, it's what you do now and what you can do tomorrow. It is pretty striking that you've gotten praise for the book from uh, the, the, truly the full spectrum uh, politically, which is almost impossible to do at this point. And a lot of people come into books like this with the best intentions of hopefully not alienating any audiences and kind of being appealing to all audiences. But you, here you are on Breitbart Radio, you're on Fox, of course, and then even folks on MSNBC are praising the book. Uh, was that a surprise to you or is that something that uh, you you kind of thought out of the gate you would be able to achieve that? I thought we'd be able to just with that message alone, because, um, um, like I said, we, we, we all want success. And I think I think most people most people want this country to do great. Uh, they just have different ideas. But I mean, I even reached out to, to one of my friends, uh, Malcolm Nance, who's over at uh, MSNBC. And he's a um, he's a political guy. He's a former Navy senior chief like me. And uh, he was talking about he said something like there's no political left or right in their lessons just a show of honor, courage and commitment like the Navy's core values. And, and that's, you know, we got a left. We got uh, Piers Morgan who was considered very liberal, but now that we've got crazy leftists, he's just a normal liberal. Yeah. Um, you know, and then we got, um, we're getting, we're getting uh, Admiral Bill McRaven, who, who said he wasn't uh, a Trump guy, but he led the bin Laden raid. He was in charge of it. And he read the book and said it's a must read. And um, I, I like to see, because it's not, we're not, we're not trying to push any political agendas. We're just, we're talking about success for everyone. We can all rise up together. And that's, that's just what it is. Okay. Stop, stop whining about what happened in the past. Let's move forward. And that's why we called it the book. And it's a lot of fun to read. There's some, you know, there's some times in there where, because, you know, Dakota talks about how he got the Medal of Honor for the absolute worst day of his life. And he says he's, you know, he's seen the eyes of a dying man. And sometimes when he has dreams, the dying man's eyes are his, but he has, he has to move on. And, it's, you know, it's very wow. deep, but it's also very funny. I've got a story how I took my brother, who's a DJ, and I took him on a hunting trip. He's not a hunter at all. And just a story in there of, it's between him and uh, my hunting buddy and, and just uh, um, how he accidentally got a deer because he was on the porch having a smoke and he said the deer was coming right for him. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I want to talk to you about the concept of bravery and uh, bravery might be the rarest of, of the good traits that someone could have. Can bravery be taught? Um, I think it can if you can slow yourself down enough. If you want to be fast, slow down. But the thing about bravery, it doesn't mean you're not afraid. Bravery is not the absence of fear. It's the ability to recognize fear and then push it aside and just do it anyway. Um, you know, I, I, every time I – for some reason, when I think of that quote, I love that quote. It's not mine. But I think of uh, – uh, there's pictures from when, when uh, the Allies were storming the beaches of Normandy and the landing craft were uh, – the, the, the gates were down and the guys were in the water. I guarantee – I mean, if, if anyone was there and wasn't scared, I'm sure they're not telling the truth, but they did it anyway. And that's like going up the stairs to Bin Laden's house. It wasn't. It wasn't bravery on my part. It's like, okay, I know we're probably going to blow up now, but I have to go forward and, and let's just get it over with. 
Um, and, and I, mean, I mean, it's bravery is there. It's just doing it. Don't worry about your fears and don't panic. Yeah, st- stuff can be contagious as a leader. Panic is certainly contagious, and we've seen that with the great uh, – uh, paper, uh, toilet paper debacle of 2020. That's panic. But as a leader, <laughs> another another thing that's contagious is calm. If it doesn't matter what you're feeling inside, if you portray calm to people who are looking up to you, they're going to be calm too. It just works that way. It's like anything with from kids to uh, you know driving a car. Um, it's like that. What's that funny joke? Yeah, my grandpa, my grandfather died peacefully, peacefully in his sleep, not like the other four people in the car with him. <laughs> <laughs> Again, Rob O'Neill is with me. He's new book out with Dakota Meyer, "The Way Forward: Master Life's Toughest Battles and Create Your Lasting Legacy," which does have war stories in it, a good sense of humor, but also a lot of lessons for all of you that you can take to your life from people who lived some of the have lived some pretty interesting lives, to say the least. Uh, Rob. Let me ask you about when you were in leadership, combat leadership in particular, uh, what is something when you were heading into a really tough moment, a moment where you knew everyone wasn't going to come out alive necessarily? What is something, how do you summon greatness from the people who are looking to you and knowing there's not going to be a hundred percent chance of success? Uh, How do you inspire people to still get the job done at least as best they can? Well, it's obviously leading by example. And, and some of the missions, especially the first ones that I went on in Afghanistan, when I, my first trip overseas with SEAL Team 6, I, I didn't know what, the, what was going to happen. We, know we, we just started having people get killed in combat. So this is real stuff that's going on over there. And I remember looking at my boss um, on my very first mission, and we're rolling through the streets of Jalal. And by rolling, I mean we're walking through the streets of Jalalabad, where it's not uncommon to see people with AK-47s that aren't bad guys. They're just, they have guns over there. And I, I you know, I'm kind of on edge, whatever, and I'm, I'm wasting energy by trying to duck all the time. And I looked at my boss, who's been in a lot of situations before, and he just looked cool. And I remember thinking, you know what? I want to look cool like that. And so the leadership thing there is, yeah, we, I mean, a car you're, you're walking past could blow up and kill everybody, but he looked cool and that calmed me down. And so... Uh, that's what I, I was just explaining earlier, how calm is contagious. That's what I started doing to my guys. And, and especially um, teaching, teaching people to, to, to stop talking so much. People get nervous. They talk too much. And you see it in war movies when, when something blows up and everyone starts screaming, go, go, go. It's like, you know, we were going to go. Stop screaming, go. And, and that, that's a lesson in life. As far, even um, as, a, as a leader in the corporate world, it, people just feel the need to talk to prove their um, importance. What uh, another famous saying? It's not mine. Is uh, when you're done saying what you're saying, stop saying it. And uh, another good quote is, "Never." This is a leader. Never pass up the opportunity to shut up. This is so interesting, and something's dawning on me because, again, it's our, our life experiences are not exactly the same. But I'm someone who talks for a living. But when it comes to running my newsroom of a hundred people or so. I'm not overly loquacious and I, I don't thrust the same ideas repeatedly in people's face. I kind of try to make the point and then let them do their thing. And I didn't even realize that that's kind of the approach I take, but that is, is essentially what you're recommending. Yeah, that's exactly it. it, it the, the, the same thing with, uh, with no talking. And, and I do this now with, with some stuff I run. If, if, uh, if you don't need to have people in the office for eight hours a day, just because they're supposed to, and of course they're working by the hour and they need the cash. But like, if you have any work to do, no. Okay, go home, be with your kids. If, if we got nothing to do, I'm not going to make you sit here. It's the whole keep uh, the acronym KISS. Keep it simple, stupid. Um, yeah. um, I, I have a, 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 for my apparel company, because I love the, uh, 
front toward enemy. That's on the front of a Claymore mine. And that just to keep it simple, front, this is the front, aim that towards the enemy. And on the back, it says back. That's the back. Keep it simple. <laughs> so that, I mean, that, and it, the, the simpler you can keep it, if you, if you can, if you want to be great, master the basics, like it, it, um, shooting free throws growing up. If I had to sum my life up uh, as far as shooting, it would be free, free throws. Because, you know, do everything like you do anything. If you want to be good, do it a thousand times. Want to be really good, do it 10,000 times. If you want to be great, do it a hundred thousand times. You're going to be great at it. And just, but master the basics. Stop getting, don't, don't make everything complicated. It doesn't need to be. Yeah, again, this is a such such a valuable lesson. Uh, could you share something that uh, people might miscon- misconstrue about the type of individual who might become a SEAL and even in combat leadership? Uh, because it feels like a lot of there's there are caricatures that are the, portrayed in the media, and and I've interviewed a number of SEALs and people who have had success in combat, and it, it does feel like that there's a media perception that is not necessarily the perception of what it actually is like. Well, um, the perception that they see is the break glass in case of war, and you have the big tough guys, uh, which we do. But not everyone's like that. The way that the way that I put it is uh, like uh, the, one of the most common things I hear, and I hear that my friends here is, "Well, you don't look like a seal." Well, w- you know, what does a seal look like? Uh, the way I describe these guys is that these are normal dudes that just get it, and the realization that you can talk your body to, into doing anything through your mind. If you can keep your mind in the game, you can do anything. No, no one's ever said, "Well, I was going to, you know, fail this triathlon, but my body pulled me through it." No, 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 your mind did. If your mind goes, your body's going right down with you. Keep your mind in the game. And, they're just, and, and two traits, you know, the great people, the two traits that I love are about Navy SEALs especially, but this is, goes with special operators, is a sense of humility and um, humor, just amazing humor. Because uh, if you can keep morale up, if you can people, keep people wanting to be there, they're going to work harder and be more efficient. And, like, instead of if someone messes up, and believe me, I mess up, you know, 100 times a day, but if, if your superior comes to you and starts yelling at you, your natural um, tendency is to get defensive. I had a boss when I would screw up. This is at SEAL Team 6. I was a senior guy, and he would come up to me after I screwed something up, and I'm ready to fight back. And all he said was, man, you're, you're just better than that. And he'd walk away, and I'm like, oh, my God, I'm never going to fail him again. I feel horrible. <laughs> Yeah, it can't be that simple. Uh, let me ask you a little bit about some of the news of the day, because one of the things that is very important is that I think those who get us into war are, are seen as credible. Uh, can you just give me your 30,000 foot on your perspective and what you think is happening between Putin, uh, Putin and Ukraine and what America's role is in this from your vantage point? Well, I mean, Putin has wanted to, you know, the Soviet empires wanted Ukraine to be a part of it. They think it's part of their history forever. Uh, and Putin will, apparently will stop at nothing. I didn't think personally he was going to invade. I was wrong on that. I thought he was going to show some force. Same, same as same, exa- same over here exactly. Because, because he's he's losing a lot now, and he's losing a lot of money right now, and he never wanted that. And I don't think he wants to govern Kiev. I think he just wanted a puppet government, show force. They'll bow down. That's fine. And now, uh, and, and what he wanted to do with that is he's, he's wanted to crush the uh, the dollar since the collapse of the Soviet Union. He hates us, and he's a psychopath. Um, the problem right now is right off the bat, we had senators, sitting senators, saying, well, we have nuclear options before anything happened, before the Olympics. And it's like, are you going to throw around the word nuclear just like that, senator? And we get these people on Capitol Hill now who are so lost in their bubble and sense of importance. All they want to do is be on TV and get ratings. So the nuclear thing keeps coming up, which people need to realize, if it gets to nuclear, life as you know it 
is over. It's changed. Like, you think a lockdown was bad. Wait till everything is destroyed. And uh, so, I mean, I, I think the way out right now is to continue what you're doing, keep picking them off. But we do need to send arms. We do not need troops on the ground. But, um, I mean, if there's a convoy like that and you want to show power, it would take an A-10 and an Apache five hours max to destroy all of them. But you need to bleed them to the point where the, there has to be a coup inside. We, we need to de- defeat them um, monetarily so there's a coup. That's the only way you can get rid of Putin. But, the way, I mean, the, the way that we're doing it now, we're buying Russian oil while, you know, so we're, we're, we're funding Russia while we're funding Ukraine, yeah. and Russia is brokering a nuclear deal with Iran. So we have some of the either, and I don't think they're that stupid on Capitol Hill. Someone wants to destroy this country. There's no way anyone is that stupid with advisors that stupid. So this is a, you and I are very much on the same page on just about all of this. And I'm curious why, I mean, what you think the agenda is for people who are out there talking about no fly zones, which seem like would be a formula for almost guaranteed hot war and the nuclear conversation. Um, I also want your take on the discussion of assassinating Putin, which seems like another fast track to hot war, maybe nuclear war even. Uh, it just seems like, like like reckless, reckless um, talk from people who maybe don't know any better, or maybe they do. Uh, maybe I'm missing it's, something. It's, it's very, very reckless talk. And that, again, is because a lot of these... Are, you got to figure, most politicians right now don't really give a rip about the country. They care about what every politician cares about, getting reelected. So get your face on there, run your mouth, and make sure you have a nice bowl, uh, a tie on. But uh, um, if, you know, we can't assassinate Putin, if there was a coup, that would work out because a lot of these generals over in Russia, don't, I don't, I'm assuming they're getting affected by the sanctions. Putin's not. Um, we need to get him out of power that way. But, I mean, there's so much destruction in, in Ukraine for no reason right now that it'll be tough to pull out. But, I mean, Putin's a major problem. you got to figure, though, you got two dudes with their fingers on the trigger for nuclear war. One's a psychopath. One can barely order his own ice cream. That's pretty scary <laughs> if you think about it. And, and he loves ice cream. So, oh, so yeah. I mean, like, let's, let's so, give it up for ice cream. Who doesn't? <laughs> yeah, yeah, really, with, with rainbow sprinkles. But it's, it's, but but g- give me your thoughts, Rob, on where you think this goes because it's a I, I like you thought because it seems strategically risky and perhaps stupid. Putin was not going to invade. I I kind of got that one wrong, uh, and yeah. then he did invade, and it's, and it's not going well for him. So, no. where do you see this going for um, going forward? I see it. I see it as going pretty bad because. I think there was a report that they shot down nine aircraft. They being the Ukrainians shot down nine Russian aircraft in one day. And if that starts happening, and now you're getting pilots and soldiers on TV that are hostages saying how bad Russia is, how no one wants the invasion. Um, Putin is not going to like that. So instead of flying over these cities, he's going to start using artillery. And that's a very, very dangerous game because artillery is, uh, I mean, it's, they can be close. But, I, you know, I've called it art, artillery before. You know, I even make fun of the uh, the, the army song with other but love i say is it high is it low where the hell did that one go so <laughs> some of these some of these you know they start are if they start shelling civilians which they've proven they're not afraid to do it's going to destroy cities kill countless people and then i mean you get into the i mean they've been fighting the russians in, in crimea since 2014 but um you start killing that many people the the, the blood feud will go back and forth and it's only going to escalate so they got to figure out a way to talk Putin out of doing this. I was hoping someone could talk some sense into him, but he's so arrogant and a psychopath. I don't think he's going to turn around. Now, of course, I've been wrong before, and I hope I'm wrong again.
The Way Forward is the book, Master Life's Toughest Battles and Create Your Lasting Legacy. Rob O'Neill, who's on the line with me now, as well as Dakota Meyer, are the writers. Give me one thing for the audience, a lesson they can take their personal life today that you think uh, you got to use to your benefit throughout your career. It doesn't matter what you look like or where you're from. You can do anything you want in life. As long as you, as long as you, I had advice from a, a SEAL instructor right before we started Hell Week, which is the hardest part of training. Um, it starts on Sunday. It doesn't end until Friday. You're awake the entire time. You run a few marathons with these heavy boats on your on your heads. He said, "You're about to go to war for the first time, and the enemy is all your doubts, all your fears, and everyone you know back home that told you you weren't good enough to do this. Keep your head down. Keep moving forward. No matter what, never quit, and you'll be fine." Rob, really appreciate it. Thank you. Of course, Al. Thank you. That's all for today. Thanks to producers Haley. Thanks to Greg Eben, our senior producer. Thanks to Robert Marlowe, who helps me select topics. And thanks to all of you who promote the show and tell people about Breitbart.com and all the hard work that we do. I will speak to you next week. But remember, we'll have shows for you all throughout the week. And uh, we'll talk to you soon. Mm-hmm.